I first moved back to the city of Flint in October of 2015. We moved in the week before Halloween. All of our neighbors were telling us, like, they warned us that Halloween was going to be huge in our neighborhood, and it was. That first year, it was sleety, rainy, cold. Still had like 300 kids come to our door. Since then, every year we've done a harvest party in my front yard, have destroyed the grass in my front yard every single year. I mean, I, I, it takes me all year to get it back, and we destroy it again come October. But I remember we were, we were unpacking our moving truck, getting everything moved in, and the neighbors came over to meet us because our, our neighborhood, people are pretty friendly in our street. I think so, Moses, yeah, yeah. oh, I, I like you. So he moved next door, he next down the street from me, so. But uh, we move in, and one of the neighbors comes over, talking to my wife, because we're all moving stuff, and they ask her, yo, what do you do for a living? She's like, oh, I'm, I'm a homemaker, I'm home with the kids during the day. And what do your husband do? And she's like, well, my husband's a pastor. He's like, oh, man, what church is he, pre- what church is he, is he pastoring? She goes, oh, well, they're starting a new church. He's starting a new church. And he just goes, another church. She's like, yeah. My wife's very polite. And he says, maybe this one will be worth a spit. That's what he said. Now, he didn't say spit, but it's PG, so I've got to change the word he said. He said, maybe this one will be worth a spit. And he left. So my wife's like, ah, the guy next door doesn't like churches, just so you know. Um, but that, that idea is kind of sad, because in his mind, in his thought, the churches around, churches around the city, in his opinion, people probably say they don't do anyone any good, they don't help anybody, they don't, have, they don't bring any social movement to society, they bring no light or warmth or joy, he would say they're worthless, they're empty, we don't need any more. Maybe yours won't be as bad as the rest of them. The pretty damning proclamation. And here we are, Sunday morning, 10, 10 a.m. We, get our, we wake up. I mean, for a lot of people, I don't know you guys, this could be the one day to sleep in all week. Could be Sunday. This could be the day. But many of us, we wake up, get the kids ready, get them out the door on time, a little bit, a little bit. And we come, we drive to this building, this basement. We come down here. We haven't had AC all summer long. It has been hot down here. It has been a humid summer. It was so hot, we even invested in fans to give to you to fan yourself. Like, we can't afford an AC, we can afford to give you a piece of paper to fan yourself. You're welcome. Why do we wake up? Some of us come early. The band gets here early, tech crew gets here early, nursery gets here early. Why give up one of our only sleep-in days a week? to come to this thing called the church. Is this worth us spit? We're going to get there. (laughs) People are like, yeah, I think so. Um, 
being a part, Flint City Church is only six years old. 15, 21, six years old. I do the math real quick. But we're part of a bigger story than ourselves. Flint City Church is a church. And there have been churches since Jesus left. His followers have gathered together since he took off. Since he ascended to heaven and said, I'll be back. When he left, I will return, is what he said. And he left, and his, his followers have been gathering together. It's looked different in different places in different times of history. There were castles in India. We have a church we uh, help plant called Tree Church that meets under a tree. Because you don't need a building to be a church. You don't. Church is not like this thing. We have been in six years. We have been in five locations. We're doing awesome. <laughs> um, it's tough not having a home. Like my office is down the street at Finley House. We meet in someone else's basement every Sunday. We don't own this. They decided to sell this tomorrow. We'd have nowhere to meet. Hey, and I'm not trying to, that didn't happen. I'm just telling you, for example, we don't own anything. Because a church is more than a building. It's people. We gather together. We're committed to one another. We're committed to love one another, forgive one another, talk to one another, care for one another. And this is called a church. We're part of this story that goes back 2,000 years. And we've been reading, studying the book of Acts for a while. We've been working through it week after week. And my hope is as we read Acts, a couple things will happen. We'll understand we're part of a bigger story. As we see the people of God doing things, we realize I'm a part of this story going back this many generations. And today we learn about a church that I think for us is very, very important. It's the church at Antioch. Now, Antioch was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. Here's a quick one for you. What's the fourth largest city in America? And I'll give you the first three. There's New York City, number one. There's L.A., Chicago. What's number four? Anyone know? Oh, you, how'd you guys know that? I didn't know that until I looked it online. It's Houston. So Antioch is the Houston of the ancient world, okay? That's all I'm saying. It's a big place. A lot of commerce, a lot of trade, a lot of people. And here's what happens. It says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. When Stephen died, Saul, the great persecutor of the church, decided he was going to destroy Christianity. And so he decided to start arresting all the Christ followers. And so the Christ followers scattered. They ran out of Jerusalem, and apparently they went all over the place. They went far, far to the north. As they traveled, they would tell others about Jesus, and new fellowships, new gatherings were born. Now here's, it says, but they're only speaking to 
the Jews. So every city they go to, they would go to the Jewish part of town, to the Jews, because for every Jewish person, Christ is very unique. Because the Jews have been told their whole lives, Messiah is coming. The great king, David's son, is coming. The prophet like Moses is coming. The seed of Abraham is coming. They're waiting for these promises to be fulfilled, and Christ is fulfilling all the promises. So I, I, Jews that I know who are Christians, they call themselves completed Jews. They're Jews who have received the fullness of the promises of God. So at first, the church is Jewish and Jewish only. Verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. So here's what happens. What's weird is that Peter and John and James and Thomas are all still in Jerusalem. So if everyone else runs away, why do the apostles not run? I'll tell you why. Because there's two groups in the church. There's the Jewish Jews and the Greek Jews. The Jewish Jews are old school. They speak Hebrew. They have Jewish names. They do things the old way. The Greek-speaking Jews, they're Jews by blood. But they speak the language of the nation. They go to the schools that the Greeks teach at. They're kind of Greek in their thinking, but they're still Jewish by blood. I'll put it this way. I am Mexican. I, I'm culturally Mexican. I love Tejano music. Because I was born in Texas, I eat pinto beans and not black beans. It's true. I like spice. Part of our culture. When I was a kid and we would swear, some of you guys got soap, right? Soap, bar soap, or maybe like there's a spray. Some mamas did spray. They sprayed their tongue. I don't know what they called that, like six sprays, I don't know, something. When I was a kid and I cussed, my mama made me bite a jalapeno. Turns out I cussed so much, I got used to it. No, but anyways, <laughs> I, was, I was young, I didn't know the Lord, forgive me, but uh, I like jalapenos now. I'm like, no, mama, don't. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> but, uh, um, but I'm Mexican, okay, so I love the music of my people, I can dance, um, Tejano music, we dance. It's like a weird polka. If you ever see it, it's, it'll freak you out because in uh, Tejano music, the, the centers out the drums and guitar, it's the accordion and the trumpet. I love Tejano music. I am a Latino through and through, but I don't speak Spanish. I moved to Michigan when I was two years old. I've, I don't speak Spanish. My Spanish is terrible. So even though I'm Mexican, I'm culturally very American. So, basically, imagine if all Mexicans were like, man, we hate those English-speaking Mexicans. And they'd try to throw them out of all their churches and all the restaurants. And I'd be like, oh, don't throw me out, but I'd be thrown out. That's what happened to the Greek-speaking Jews. Because they spoke Greek and not Hebrew, they were, they were suspect. People were afraid of them, and so they... The Jewish faith did not like them. Felt that they were traitors to the cause. So the, the Greek-speaking Jews are the ones who ran away. The Hebrew Jews were allowed to stay in Jerusalem. But what's nuts is when these Greek-speaking Jews landed in Antioch, 
which is a Greek city where everyone speaks Greek, guess what? They could talk to all the people. And they began telling all the non-Jews, all the Greek-speaking pagans, they began telling them about Jesus. It's another example of how God can use. Man may mean it for evil, but God can use it for good. These people start telling these Greeks about Jesus, and it says, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. People start coming to Jesus, and all of a sudden, a church is born. Not a building, not a domination, but people who love Jesus begin getting together to read his word and draw closer to him. I love that this church of Antioch was not planted by a missionary. Paul did not start this church. This church was started by normal people who were on the run for their lives. Refugees started this church. As refugees ran for their safety, they told others of Christ, and a church was born. First thing I want to say about the church is this. The church of Antioch had good people. The church of Antioch had good people. And as the church goes forward in time, something horrible happens. I don't know when it happens or where it happens, but people begin thinking, our priest, our pastor, our bishop, they do the work, I sit on my butt, and I pay them to do the work, and everything will be awesome. And that's not the way it was ever supposed to be. In Antioch, the church was not started by Bible scholars. It wasn't started by the brilliant, by theologians. It was started by normal folk, by barbers and engineers and fishermen. As these normal people walked through life, they told people about Jesus, and others like, well, who, tell me more about this Jesus. And people started gathering and listening and caring. If Flint City Church... Is just me loving people, we will never make a dent in this city. I'm one person. If every church in the city is just pastors doing ministry, our city will never, ever see revival. The church is people. You have been called and gifted by God. You don't have to have my gifting to be valuable. I'm married. 18 years now? Okay. Just it's an anniversary. I always forget because anniversaries are weird. Um, so I'm married. My wife's gifting and my gifting are very different. I am... Uh, I asked my wife the other day, I was preaching somewhere, and I said, hey, babe, what's the opposite of meek? Because I'm opposite of meek. She goes, obnoxious. That was... <laughs> so I'm obnoxious, okay? I, am, I walk into a room, I want to shake hands, meet people. That's who I am. My wife is more introverted. 
Does it need to be the center of attention? Does it feel, for her, what fills her cup is a nice night at home. What fills my cup is going out in the town. Do you understand the difference? Introvert, extrovert. But here's the deal. The way God's gifted Angie, he's gifted her to reach people I may never, ever have ability to reach. There are people who, obnoxious psychos, are like, you're weird, you're loud, stay away from me, who feel more at home with Angie. And whatever, however God has built you, whatever, whatever passions he's given you, whatever dreams, whatever likes or dislikes, whoever you are, your personality is uniquely yours, and you are, and not only are you, are you unique in how you were made, you walk in places that none of us are walking in. In, your, in, your, in, in, your, in the marketplace where you work, in the families you get together with for Thanksgiving, you are walking in houses that pastors will never walk into. You are the light. You are the salt walking into that place. And God's not saying, you better walk in there and start preaching. That's not what he's saying. But you walk in there knowing who your Savior is and not ashamed to admit who you are. If someone says, hey, man, you want to go, I don't know, I have no illustration. Someone says, okay, when I was a younger man, before I was, you know, Pastor Nesto, when I was just a normal human being, like, and I, I just, we're all normal human beings. Before I was a pastor, and Sunday was the day I had to work a lot. I was just a guy who went to church like everybody else. And someone asked me to go fishing on a Sunday. Not a big deal. It sounded pretty fun. At the time in my life, I knew I needed to be near God's people and God's word. And I'm like, listen, thank you for inviting me. I can't. I'm busy on Sunday mornings. Oh, what are you doing? <sighs> I could just be like, I just, I just, something came up, dude. Or I could say, you know, I, I, I go to church every Sunday. It's very important to me. I can reveal my cards. This is something that's part of my life, and it matters, and I don't take it for granted. It's a very simple thing. When my wife and I and the kids go out to eat, eat we go out to eat somewhere. I mean, we go to Applebee's or Chili's, and uh, me and the kids will pray for our meal. And the waitress will stop and wait for done praying to give us, like, our salsa or whatever, you know? And uh, she's there waiting, but we're not, a, we're not ashamed to pray in public. And we're not doing it for everybody. We're doing it because we love the Lord. But we're not going to hide it. I hope no one sees. We're quitting, everybody. One, two, three, pray. Okay, we're done. No one saw it. Woo! And these simple little ways of approaching God in the world, it shines, man. So I was a cook on a line for six years at a restaurant. I, was, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't like preach at my, for the staff. They'd hate me if I did that. I worked hard. I came in on time. I, 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 if I was a jerk, I tried to apologize. Over, over years, I realized Ernesto Loves Jesus. There was one kid, younger than I was, always annoyed me. And he was one of these kids, he's like the, he's like the eternal younger brother. He loved annoying everybody at the, at, at, the, at the restaurant. And he'd push my buttons, and I'd always lose my cool and yell at him. Like every shift, I'd lose my cool, and I'd throw crap at him, I'd dump water on him, I'd just get mad at him and do something mean to him. And I'm supposed to be a Christian, and I'm like, shut up, throw bad breadsticks at him or something. Um, and so I'd be a jerk, and then I'd, after, I'd, after I'd calm down, I'd go like, listen, I'm sorry I did that, man, I, I apologize. I'd always, I'd always say sorry. 
And over the years, unbelievable, even though he saw the worst I had to give, he also saw the repentance and the growth. And years later, when he came to a moment in his life of great wonder and questioning, he called me out of the blue. Because he remembered, man, the guy who worked with Ernesto loved Jesus. I need to hear about him. So he called me out of the blue, Ernesto, do you still love Jesus? Yeah, man. And we talked about it. Whatever you work whatever school you go to, whatever world you walk around and you are uniquely placed there to be God's hands and feet. The church is people. You are the church and not just on Sunday. We are the church. We leave this place. We walk out of here. Are we representing Christ? This week, at any point in your week, do you sacrifice for someone else? Did you pray for someone you knew who was hurting? Were you out there? Did you care? This is what a church is supposed to be. The church is people. It's not just the leadership. The church is people. We are the church. The church was started. This church was started by normal people just like us. Then it says, verse 22... The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. What happens is, this is the first Gentile church. This is the first non-Jewish church and it freaks everybody out. Like Cornelius got saved earlier, that was one guy. But now you have a church full of non-Jewish people and it's weird. There are different songs than the Jews do. Different musical instruments than the Jews have. They might do different things in their service than the Jews do. There's, this church probably looks different than the Jewish meeting. The Jews here, there's a church in Antioch, and they send Barnabas, check it out. Like, go see if it's on a level. Go see if it's real or not. When he came, and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. I'm so glad they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas is a good man. We meet Barnabas earlier in the book of Acts, Barnabas takes some property he has, he sells it, and gives all the money to the poor. So we see he's a real guy. He's, he's on the level. He cares for others. We see Barnabas when the whole church is afraid of Saul, this new Christian. Barnabas vouches for Saul and says, give him a chance. He really loves Jesus. Barnabas believes in people. He encourages people. He loves people. And he comes to Antioch to see is this real? When he gets there, he does not try to own it, to crush it. He doesn't try to rebuke it. He doesn't say, hey, guys, you're doing it wrong. You got to sing on this kind of instrument and sing these songs and do things our way. He gets there and goes, you guys are doing awesome. Keep on doing it. And Barnabas encourages the church. The church of Antioch had good people, but the church of Antioch also had good leadership. The church of Antioch had good leadership. 
Barnabas becomes their pastor. Now again, he's not the only minister there. He's just helping to guide the thing forward. I am the pa- a pastor of Flint City Church. I'm not a king. I don't rule. I always say, I don't own anyone. I got a text from Mrs. Helen last Sunday. She's like, I know you don't own me, but I still love you. And I was like, oh, like, it was really nice. Thank you, Miss Helen. But I said it every week, so I want you to know, I know people have been abused by bad leadership. Because some leaders come to church and they want to use the church to lift their own ego. To feel good about themselves. To fill a void. They like to tell people what to do. That's not what godly leadership is. Barnabas comes to Antioch. He releases the people to do things. If anyone in this room comes to me and says, Pastor, God has called me to do this ministry. I'm not going to go, well, hold on here. If you come to me and say, God's leading me to do this Bible study in my neighborhood, I'm going to say, how can we help you? How can we come alongside of God's calling in your life to help you succeed? Because we want you to be doing awesome work for the Lord. Godly leadership is open-handed. Barnabas is open-handed and the church begins to grow. And Barnabas is so smart, that's what he does next. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. Barnabas, the ministry's too big for him. Trying to help the people, encourage the people, but he's just one person, just grows too big. He's like, you know what, I need Saul's help. He goes and finds Saul's and brings Saul back. Because here's the thing, godly leadership understands the church is meant to have more than one leader. It's called a plurality of leadership. A true godly leader doesn't hold power, doesn't say, this is my house. Let's say, as we're training up people to do ministry, we have someone in our ministry rise up and God just anoints them powerfully, Billy Graham style. Whenever they preach, people are like, the Lord is real, and they get saved. Every time they preach, I'm like, oh my goodness. I wouldn't be like, oh man, God anointed this guy. I better shut him up before he steals the church from me. That wouldn't be my first thought. A godly leader would go, God anointed this guy. I better get out of the way and let this train go. If God allowed our church to give birth to awesome, gifted ministers, we wouldn't be afraid of that. Because godly leaders aren't trying to hold on to their position. It's hard to explain how this works because I know I'm the pastor guy. But one thing we're trying to do as a church, in the, before the year is over, before the year is over, we're hoping to ordain another pastor and some more deacons in our church because we want to have lots of godly leadership. I don't want to be the only guy like, in leadership in our church. It's too big. It's too much. I want to give it away because it's not mine. The Church of Antioch has good leadership, and we want Flint City to have godly leadership too. We do. We don't want to be leaders who are stubborn, who are selfish, who are afraid. I, in my journey, I had an older pastor crush me. 
I had an older pastor decide I was a threat, and just, he just crushed me. And my wife, were in bed one day, laying there in the pain of that hurt. And my wife said to me, Ernesto, how does this feel? I'm like, this feels terrible, babe. She's like, well, remember how this feels. And when you have authority and power, you never do this to anyone. And I was like, dang. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. And so we've tried as a church to be very open-handed, to release leadership, to not be proud. Listen, oh, let's, last week, I preach with no notes. It's really hard sometimes, okay? Last week I made a point how Jesus is neither Republican or Democrat, and I overspoke. I overspoke. I spoke wrongly. I let my emotions out, and I was disrespectful to our former president. And I was wrong. And a couple people called me and said, man, that was brutal what you said. And I didn't say, I'm the pastor, you shut up. <laughs> I said it, so you better like it. <laughs> I, wrote, I, I called and said, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I don't like apologizing. Apologizing is awful. It's not awful, it's good. But that, I don't want to be a leader who says, I do everything right. I don't do everything right. I messed up what I did last week. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm just making a point. Just, I hope you know that I'm not a king. There are no kings or queens here. There's just followers of Jesus. And that's godly leadership. Being the, in the church of Christ, the more leadership you get, that means you're a greater servant. The biggest leader is the biggest servant in this church. That's what it means. That's what it means. There's no glory, there's a towel. That's all it is. Here's where it ends. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. I love that. In this city, a new word is born. Before this time, they're just the Jews who like Jesus. Sometimes they're called followers of the way. But the, these, this church talks so much about Jesus, they start calling them Christians. You're so crazy about Christ. I'm calling, and the word is not, is not a compliment. It's, a, it's to denigrate them. You, you're always so Christian. You always like Christ so much. I'll call you a Christian. But wow, that name has stuck, didn't it? 2,000 years is the word we still use. And we still do this to people. Whenever we see someone who loves someone, we call them like, there's a, a preacher out in California called John MacArthur. When I meet someone that loves his teaching, I call him MacArthurite. And that's, meant, that's me kind of giving him a jab. <laughs> um, there's a guy from back in the day from like uh, Geneva named John Calvin. Guys that, guys that love his teaching are called Calvinists. <laughs> we often call people by the name of the person they follow. And the Antioch to become Christians. And I hope we as a church talk so much about Jesus. Everyone knows, man, Flint City Church, I don't know much about them, but they love Jesus. That's the heartbeat of our church. We love Jesus. Verse 27. 
Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. The disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Jerusalem. And they did so, sending it by, to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So they're in church, they're having a gathering one day, and a guy has a prophecy. He says, guys, there's a stinking famine coming. It's going to be bad. So the church decides, let's take a collection, and let's send money, because the church of Jerusalem is weaker than us. Let's send money to help them. And they send money to Jerusalem. So the church is full of people. The church is people. The church is leadership. The church is also a place of generosity. The church of Antioch was generous. Flint City Church, we're not a large church, you guys. We're not the richest church. We're not in Fenton. We're not in Clarkson. We're not in Stephen Davison. We're in Flint. We're in Flint. And many of us here are faithful to give to this work. And for that, may God bless you for your faithfulness. People online give faithfully. It's crazy. I am able to work here full time and not have another job because people here give so faithfully. For that, I am grateful. But we as a church, even though we're a Flint church, we want to be a generous people, don't we? We want to be generous our church has already planted two churches in six years. We gave money to help plant the village over in Byron, Michigan. Byron. Yeah. It was awesome. They're still good friends of ours. And they're doing awesome. That church is doing great. And we got a chance to put seeds, plant seeds in that ministry. This church gave financially and sent three families to Eastside. It's our new church to Eastside. I leave here, I run over there at noon. Three families left here to go there. We let them go open-handed, and God's blessing that work. We have already seen two churches planted out of our ministry. Just this year, we sent new computers with a missionary to Africa, and we sent a new computer with a missionary to, no, to a, a national to Colombia. Colombia. When we, when we meet missionaries who have needs, we hook them up, we like... Um, we, we, my point is we take care of people. We, are, we try to be a generous church. We do. We want to be generous. We want to be faithful. We want to give faithfully. We want to be a generous people. Even though we aren't rich, with the little we have, we want to be faithful. That's part of our ethos is we give it away. We don't hoard it. We don't stack it. We want to give it to other ministries. Here's a true thing. Whenever anyone plants a church in Michigan, we call them and say, how can we help you? Do you need tech? Do you need music instruments? Do you need microphones, chords? I mean, I make John's life a nightmare, giving our crap away all the time. <laughs> but it's good. We get to bless other ministries. I mean, it's crazy how, like, where's the thing we used to have? I gave it to that church over there. Like, oh, like, it's just crazy. But we get to be generous with many, many people, many, many works. So, is our church worth a spit? The question I've heard asked, if your church disappeared overnight, would anyone in the city notice? If your church didn't exist, would anyone anywhere care? 
I think that even though we are a small work, God has let us have some impact in our city among homeless, among addicts. God's giving us a new inroad with the LGBT community. These are beautiful and good things. I think if we continue to be people who love Jesus, if our leaders continue to be godly and submit themselves to God's goodness, and continue to be generous, I think God will continue to bless us. With that said, let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for letting us be a part of something like this. We're not a perfect church or a perfect people. But we love you, and we're, we're trying out there to not be ashamed of you. We try to share our love of you with people we meet, whether it's in party stores or at our workplace with our families. Help us to care. Help us not to be conformed to this world. Help us remember our first love, which is you, O oh Lord. Help us be a people who look like you and are worthy of the name Christian. In Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen.